Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. Today we circle back around and talk about birth control and contraceptives again. We got a little pushback from the last episode, and so we hope to clarify, improve, and sharpen our teaching on this very important topic. As you'll hear Tim say later in the podcast, there is nothing more sensitive in a marriage relationship than the question of whether or not to have another child. So it's a delicate matter, and it takes wisdom and care. So we hope to provide some more of that. My guests for today's episode are Max Carell, Stephen Baker, and Tim Bailey. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds Podcast. Well, hello, gentlemen. It's good to have you all here today. Tim, how you doing? Very good, thank you. Good. And we have Stephen here with us today. How are you, Stephen? Well, I have a cold, so I'm, I want to up front save you some... Uh, explanation? Uh, some explanation and editing. Okay. Just, so audience, just expect some <laughs> cold-associated stuff. And Sniffling. Sorry. All right. But I'm glad to be here. Thank you. We are glad that you're here. How are you doing, Max? I'm very well. Thank you, Lucas. Good, good. So we all just came back from a weekend in Indianapolis. How would you guys say the weekend went? It was the marriage conference, of course, that this audience here for this podcast has been hearing about for the last two months or so. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> how, how did it go? I thought it was just great. Cool. Big, you know, good crowd, wonderful conversations around the mealtimes and the sessions and it was great. Very practical, very helpful. Very practical, yeah. And uh, yeah, as Stephen said, the crowd was just exciting. Group mm -hmm. of people to be together from all over the place. Mm -hmm. Really nice group of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I thought it was just really sweet that I think it was a majority of people were not from our church here in Bloomington. So it was mm -hmm. just really great to meet people I'd never met before and yeah. spend time with them a little bit. Um, so... Very thankful for a sweet weekend. And Saturday was just a beautiful day. Mm -hmm. Just amazingly beautiful. And the well, food was good. Yeah. The place it was held was nice. Everything was really nice. Yeah. And the people were, I mean, you know, they had problems. <laughs> but at least you felt like maybe they left more hopeful than they came and at least they had a night without the children. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Always a plus. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, today we are going to circle back around and hit the topic of birth control and contraception again. And so why would we do such a thing? Why would we come back and hit this topic again? I think actually that uh, for this particular podcast... Uh, our episode on birth control was the highest, the most downloaded, listened to pod, uh, episode we've ever done. <laughs> um, so that may give some indication that there is, a, of course, a lot of interest in this topic and people uh, want to know what to think. Uh, we have, our churches are filled with a lot of young families, young couples feeling the pressure of children and family. And so... There's a lot of pressure there, and so they, they want to know what to think. And we sensed in the feedback that that there was more that could be said, I guess. I don't know. What would you say, Tim? Well, I asked if we could do another podcast on it because I think a lot of churches don't have, <clears throat> I would say, as active a relationship with the women of the church as 
I try to have. I'm not sure about the rest of you pastors. But because Mary Lee is so involved in the lives of the women of the church, I try to know what is going on in the marriages and the homes. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a mistake that a lot of pastors make, that they're content to know. To not know. Yeah, they're content to know what their wives say to them, and that's it. Hmm. And so because Mary Lee is a counselor, a doula, because she is very much trusted by the women of the church, I, I hear. And hmm. not only that, because, but also because Mary Lee is... You know, we have a marriage where she tells me she doesn't agree. As a matter of fact, this weekend, Sunday, she came in. I didn't tell you this, Lucas. <laughs> Sunday, she came in after being at small group, and I was home, and she was in a bad mood. Well, the next morning, she said, well, last night didn't start well. She said, because I was listening to that podcast and uh, the one she was listening to was actually not the one on birth control. It was the one on um, companionship. companionship. Yeah, yeah. And she said, you said that women want to emote. Well, the minute she expressed displeasure and irritation with me about a podcast, I contacted you or she, I asked her to, but I did too. And I just said, just pull it out. And the reason is that as husbands not just in terms of our marriage but also in terms of our children our grandchildren and the marriages and homes of the church it's a foolish pastor who doesn't listen to his wife yeah well so you pulled that out on companionship i haven't pulled oh, it out yet. no okay. and the reason is i had a conversation with mary lee about it and, uh, I, and she's like stop well, what are you talking to my wife for i mean don't we let wives <laughs> talk to their husbands and then tell them to shut up well i just i it seemed to me that she hadn't listened to a whole lot of the podcast yet and so I wanted her to just, I, I told her, <laughs> listen to at least half of it no, and then come funny. back and talk to me about it because I I'm, <laughs> I didn't have the courage to <laughs> tell her to keep going. Uh, well, she's generally been appreciative of the podcast. Um, That's why it kind of shook me. Yeah. So then she was talking to someone, to a woman, a pastor's wife about the issue of contraception and birth control. And, mm. of course, Mary Lee and I have talked about this an awful lot through the years. It's a very real issue in every Christian marriage. And because Mary Lee is a doula, <laughs> she actually knows more about the contraception and birth control uh, in the marriages than probably anybody in our church does, certainly, but it's probably I know more than <laughs> people realize I know. Hmm. And it just struck me that in the book, in the chapter on contraception in the book, I am so tired of people not knowing anything about what the church historically has said. I'm just tired of it. Mm hmm I just think, can we please humble ourselves and not tell each other what we think until we know what other people think? Mm. And can we start with Scripture and with our fathers. The, our fathers and mothers in the faith? Yeah. So in the chapter in the book, it does document that. And it was a big argument as to whether or not that would be footnotes, endnotes in the text. I think they did a good job. 
it's not endnotes; it's footnotes on each page. Yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, and I tried to assemble the most accurate representation of church history that I could find anywhere. Not the most exhaustive, but mm. the most accurate with the clearest citations and the best sources. And as I say in that article, universally, the church has been opposed to artificially obstructing pregnancy in the marriage bed. And not, not, and not just um, abortion or... Um, you know, figuring out and taking drugs. I mean, drugs have been around forever, mm-hmm. but it's very clear. I was glancing through some of the, the citations mm-hmm. before you came today, and it's clear, like, they were not, they they were aware of the different forms of contraception, abortion, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the latest one that's up on my screen right now is Augustine. It's Augustine saying, mm-hmm. uh, intercourse, even with one's lawfully wedded spouse, can take place in an unlawful and shameful manner whenever the conception of offspring is avoided. I mean, that's mm-hmm. and pretty Onan, clear. Yeah, and Onan is the classic Right, he situation. goes into Onan in that yeah. case. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I, I have a good conscience about what's in the book. It's true. I do indicate in the book that there ha- have been people who uh, I have counseled that, yes, it's proper for them to avoid pregnancy. And that's said in the chapter. But as this woman said to Mary Lee, well, yeah, if you're going to die, the example you use is a woman that was in her garage with her car running intentionally in postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. thinking of killing herself. And I heard about another situation yesterday in in another church of a woman who, (laughs) they had to institutionalize her. Oh, wow. And when you think of not just the woman herself, but her husband, the children, you know, if you've had suicide of people that you loved and who killed themselves, it's an awful thing. Mm -hmm. But of course, that doesn't really address the issue much because, you know, it's like this woman said to Mary Lee, well, okay, you know, what if you're not suicidal? Well, women know that there are a lot of physical and emotional mental liabilities that come with pregnancy and that they do influence the marriage and they do influence the children. Oh yeah, buddy. (laughs) And as I thought about simply saying, don't obstruct pregnancy and then giving an example of suicide, it's not really honest. Mm -hmm. I'm not being honest. Mm. Because the truth is, I know lots of people are using contraception, and I don't go to them and tell them, naughty, naughty, you. And so, it's not just taking the pill, which is always wrong, because it does work. It has a significant agency, as as we have said, of being an abortifacient, all hormonal mm -hmm. methods. But then you have barrier methods. You have... Uh, condom you have um, diaphragm and then you have the option of the woman uh, having her tubes tied or the man having a vasectomy mm-hmm. and I wanted to ha- to revisit this issue because the scripture kept going through my mind and here's the scripture Matthew 23 
Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all they tell you, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on women's shoulders. Actually, in the translation, it's men's. (laughs) But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. Hmm. And I think... um, I don't regret doing the chapter at all and the conclusions of the chapter, but I think people brothers and sisters in Christ need to understand that I am fully aware of how many people in my family, (laughs) in the church, in the conservative reform church, use methods of obstructing pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And I have never believed that it is my place as a pastor to tell men and women not to use birth control in this situation, in that. I sometimes say that I agree with their decision. Mm. Sometimes Mary Lee wants me to encourage them to use (laughs) birth control because she knows what pastors don't. Mm -hmm. And I have had a number of irritating, I wouldn't quite rise them to level of fights, but certainly sort of cryptic comments to each other, and I won't use the names of anybody, but we as pastors know that there are certain families in our church that would have tremendous relief if they weren't pregnant. And I don't believe that because a family should have tremendous relief that that means they should obstruct pregnancy, okay? Because the fact is you don't begin to live by faith until you have stress because you're living by faith. In other words, Elizabeth Elliot said that you don't begin to submit until you disagree. Well, you don't begin to have faith until it's evidence of things not seen. Yeah, until you're backed into a corner. (laughs) Yeah. So let me say one other thing, and we can just get into it here. One of the problems we have in the church today among serious Christians in other words, true believers, all right, can we be done with every evangelical as a Christian? I mean, one of the problems we have when people are, are following present participle Jesus, all right, submitting themselves to his word, fearing him, loving him, is that they then think that everything should be interpreted according to this and that verse. Okay. And the reason I bring that up is let's talk about postpartum depression. And let's talk about a movement which assigns to any depression simply sin of a besetting nature. And all you need to do if you're a woman with postpartum depression is Memorize John 3.16. Now, I know that that's not the verse they would have memorized. <laughs> right. But can we talk about Jay Adams a little, mm-hmm. Stephen? Sure. I've had it. <laughs> well, no, I want you to, because well, years ago you gave me a thumbnail sketch of everything, and I think it would be helpful to couples that always want to say that everything they suffer under 
is because of sin. Right. Right. Yeah. So there was a, Jay Adams was a counselor, professor, and he, um, and other things, but he kind of kicked off the movement that we call biblical counseling today. And this would have been back in the, goodness, 60s, 70s, maybe. Was he a pastor? He had been a pastor. I can't remember. He was a professor at Westminster East. Oh, okay. But of, surely he pastored. I just don't, I can't remember. Yeah, okay. But he, uh, he taught preaching. I think one of his main things is preaching. Okay. Um, But he, he came in on the scene when the church had decided basically for for decades to totally hand all kinds of counseling over to, you know, basically secular uh, professional psychologists and psychiatrists. And so he came in and, you know, his first book is one of his most popular books. It's called Competent to Counsel, which comes from a phrase in the book of Romans. You know, I, I'm convinced that you're all full of knowledge and competent to counsel one another, hmm. talking to the church. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the, he was the wrecking ball that came in and blasted into secular psychiatry and psychology and uh, what's called integra- integrationism, which is kind of taking secular models and just kind of dressing them up with biblical things. But really, in many cases, especially back then, it was taking just pure, you know, behaviorism or Skinner or Freud or whoever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just trying to find biblical kind of proof texts for those basic ideas so that they could call it Christian. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. kind of putting a dusting on top, you know. Right. Um, and he just came and blasted that to bits, and I think rightly so. Mm. But he has problems. Yeah. And and so when I was, uh, I guess it was when I was still in college, newly married, I read Thomas Cezaz, a professor in New York. Uh, and it was called the myth of psychotherapy. Hmm. And even among secular psychiatrists and psychologists, there was a similar movement against the sort of, assumed expertise of those that dealt with the heart and the mind the psychologists and psychiatrists Hmm. and there was also a movement against the increasing uh power and authority they had in the judicial system Mm -hmm. and so um yes no question about it counseling needed to be returned to the church right and not simply uh, what's the word outsourced yeah. to supposed experts? Yeah. I would say Jay Adams was the man for the, of the hour. And similar in, in my thinking to someone like Luther, who's a wrecking ball, you know, tears down and, and it couldn't have been, anyone, the way. couldn't have been anyone, but someone like Luther. Yeah. Yeah. Both in gifting and personality and all, you know, all, all that stuff was just, just right. But, and so similar with, um, with Adams, but here's the point, his model for how people change was actually, I think, very faulty. And so he had, you know, indicative of that model is a book, little tiny booklet he had called Godliness Through Discipline. And his whole point in that book is, and then 
it it gets fleshed out in many other writings is basically sanctification is exactly like learning to roller skate hmm. or learning how to drive a stick shift. It's just a matter of repetition, 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 uh, dehabituation and rehabituation of the terms he used. So you unlearn bad habits and relearn good habits. And of course mm. that there's a really big part of sanctification that that, that is what it is, but yeah. that's not all that it is. Mm. So he had, he had a weird view of kind of what the flesh was and I don't want to get into all of that, but it became, it, it became very, it became almost a Christian view of behaviorism. Yeah, I see that. And the, so get to your point, you know, there was a, the, uh, the association, there, there's this thing called a uh, counseling and mm. that's comes from the Greek word that is from that, that verse in Romans counsel. It means to admonish, you know, with words, um, to the point that you get someone to change. That's, that's kind of what that word means. So, so the term became Nuthetic counseling. And so the association was the national association of Nuthetic counselors, NANC, right? Started by Adams and it become, it became kind of the caricature of it became Yank (laughs) 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 instead of NANC because it was very, it was just really rigid. It's like, okay, okay. You know, almost you, some of our listeners will know that uh, skit by Bob Newhart. Is that what the guy's name? <laughs> if you don't know it, look it up. Bob yeah. Newhart skit. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop it. it. <laughs> yeah, this woman come. He's a counselor, and he just keeps saying, "Well, stop it." And or or it was kind of like you know, take two verses and call me in the morning. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, uh, it, it was just very rigid. Now it was just kind of a I don't know. It was like a phase. Yeah. That in order to get away from all of the gunk of Freud and Mm -hmm. tell Mm -hmm. me your deepest, you know, let's interpret your dreams together and what's your collective unconscious with young and all this secular psychoanalysis. It was, it was very much reaction against that Mm -hmm. in in the direction you'd expect it to be. But it tend tended to, you know, especially on the popular level, it tended to become the only problem with you is sin period. Mm. So no medication, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, n- I don't want to say what, n- no nuance, no sophisticated. I don't know if that's the word I want to use. No deep biblical understanding of the connection between the body and the soul. Does that make sense? It was just all, yep. Yep. you're sinning. Okay. You're depressed. You're sinning. The yep. only reason you're depressed is because you're sinning. Stop being depressed. Mm-hmm. And there's, there is a time to say that there's a time to say, you just have to get up and do what you have to do regardless of how you feel. And that's what he would have said. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it took on this kind of. Yeah. There's antagonism there. towards anything other than that. Okay? okay. And so that's not helpful. Well, so what does that have to do with our topic today, Tim? You wanted him to go into that helpful background. What it has to do with it is that. I can't talk to a a broad mainstream evangelical audience on this because they think I feel, therefore I am. Mm. Long ago, the evangelical church stopped being a community of faith yeah. and became an emotive experiential community. Yeah. And if you can talk about, quote, the gospel, unquote, and that really is what has taken over the PCA through Tim Keller. Not that Tim Keller is a know-nothing man. 
but just that everything is aimed at the person and relating to the person and uh, just um, if you feel it, it needs to be empathized with. I had a very interesting experience after the conference where I was talking to a couple of husbands and they had saved a question for me and they said, you know, in, in the conference, you did not talk about a man having empathy and sympathy for his wife. <laughs> and that was kind of surprising to me. And so I sat there listening to them and thinking and thinking and thinking. At one point, they said to me, we're not trying to be critical of you. And I said, you know something? I've seen the barn door. I'm gone from this church in a few months. So even though I spent most of my life being afraid of people maybe criticizing me, <laughs> that's not what I'm concerned about. I'm actually concerned about your marriages, you know? Well, as I thought about it, I realized that one of the things that has come to characterize our ministry here is that I am a man that can't help but feel what other people are feeling. I can't help it. Mm -hmm. I do it when I'm preaching. I do it when I'm counseling. I do it here. You know, I'm boring into the heads of the people listening to this. Apparently, I didn't bore into my wife's head very well last <laughs> time. You know? And what I am opposed to is I am opposed to men who refuse to enter into the suffering of other people. Mm. I'm opposed to that. I'm not in favor of it being oppressive, which is it is in all social media. Yeah. I'm not in favor of it squelching argument, but I'm opposed to men who use techniques and words and solutions in a way that keeps them from having to enter into the hearts and minds of others in a way that causes them to suffer as the other person suffers. Mm. Okay? Yeah. Empathy and sympathy are absolutely at the center of counseling. Mm. You can't counsel if you don't give yourself to being sympathetic and empathetic. Yeah. And the so more, it can't be engineerish. Yeah, and the more I have watched through the years counseling, and now the more I watch the hipster church planning movement, everybody has a technique. Their techniques mm. vary and differ incredibly. And that depends upon their analysis of culture, their political commitments, all this other stuff. But what hipsters what Keller and what Jay Adams have in common is there's no empathy from any of them because all of them are presenting solutions to people's problems that you choose your solution, but you don't get love. Hmm. You don't get love. And love is what makes the world go around. <laughs> and love is what makes a pastor a pastor. I mean, Imagine if we took love out of Jesus in the four Gospels. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine it. Now everybody's going to say, well, yeah, outside of Lazarus' grave. I say, no, constantly. Do you think he put up with the faithlessness of those disciples in the upper room just before he dies? Do you think he put up with them just because it was part of God's plan? Mm -hmm. Or do you think he loved them? The same thing is true of the Apostle Paul. I can't imagine how many men use the Apostle Paul for doctrinal correctness and don't copy one bit 
of his love and care for the sheep. Mm. None. There's no parallel love and caring for the sheep that you can see and hear from the books, from everything. There's flattery, you know, gentle and lowly, it's flattery, but you don't get any sense. You know, the people that say that they know how to handle homosexuality and that it's really a real deal and revoice is fine and everything. These people obviously have never loved a man tempted by homosexuality. They've never entered into it. I know they'll have a fit with me saying that. Yeah, they'll say they have. That's no, 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 lie. no. That's what they think. But you know, for instance, the fact that they never present marriage as the way of healing burning. Hmm. The Apostle Paul knew that marriage could heal somebody burning for same-sex intimacy. And so he said it's better to marry than to burn. It's never presented as a pastoral solution to anybody who's gay. Never. Because they're too busy trying to pacify the world that says Obergefell is a... They say, well, not Obergefell, but nevertheless, we understand you have a sexual orientation. Now, come back to birth control and contraception. This may be the most sensitive issue in a marriage. Discipline is extremely sensitive. But I've always said to men, when we're in the office counseling, I say to them, you know, it's not your body that's getting stretch marks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not your breasts that are swelling. It's not you that is carrying the marks of each successive child. Mm -hmm. And so there are a few decisions that I would want more to be a mutual decision than the question of whether to proceed to have child after child. Mm-hmm. Now, how can I reconcile reconcile that with what we have said earlier? Hmm. And here's my answer. I can't. I can't reconcile it. Mm-hmm. But honest pastors will tell you that their positions and their teaching and their practice are often irreconcilable. They often live in a place where what they're preaching and teaching, they know they just went against it on the way to church. (laughs) You know, let's take something that's obvious. Lust. A man has eyes. Yeah. And at times he looks at women, all right, in a sinful way. way. And he's constantly tempted to. Yeah, but that's different than saying we have a, a principle of, so it would never be right for you to lust. Right. It would never be, there's, that's not a gray area. That's not it for us to, you know. But what we are saying, I think, about contraception is there are times at which it's not a sin to do that. It's never not a sin to lust. But sometimes there, there is, and, and of course, there's that, that's that. Let me ask attention. you this, Stephen. Do you think that everybody that's using contraception in our church is not sinning? No. By using contraception in our church. You didn't ask me, I guess. Go ahead, Stephen. <laughs> there are too many knots in there. Can you, can well, you say that? Do you that think enough? that there are people in our church that mm-hmm. in a perfect world, if you were the great decision maker, you would say that's sin. You shouldn't be doing that. Sure. In other words. Some, it can be sin. I'm not, no, I'm just, that's not what I'm asking. Okay. I'm asking whether you're confident that in our church there are people sinning by using contraception. And the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Well, but that's another example of where as a pastor, you right. might know. 
And you might preach this knowing that, and you might not go to them and say to them, I think you should stop using. They might not be asking your opinion. Right. And so right. there's a whole host no, of, absolutely. there's a whole host of areas of leadership, whether public or private, whether you're a husband or a pastor, an mm-hmm. elder, whatever, Titus two woman, where you know that certain people have made a decision you don't approve of. Yeah. And I think that's part of this Jay Adams movement. Mm-hmm. My experience is mm-hmm. that in the conservative reform world, People have two categories. One is righteous and the other is church discipline. Mm-hmm. And right. they would never admit that they know about sins in their church that they're not dealing with. And to yeah, me, and, yeah. part of wisdom when it comes to these private sins is as a pastor, you will teach and you will shut your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that doesn't deal, that deals with how to lead, how to be a leader, how to be a pastor. But that doesn't deal with what we should say no, now. No, wait a second, because I said husbands, not just pastors. Do you not have circumstances with your wife where she is sinning mm-hmm. and you don't open your mouth? Does a wife not have circumstances in a marriage? Sure. You're right. I agree with you. But the whole question is not. Again, you're raising the issue of whether or not you open your mouth. What we want to talk about is whether it's sin in the first place. Where Where is the sin? Yeah, but we came at that through the issue of postpartum depression. Postpartum depression is, is usually not suicidal. Mm-hmm. So if we use an example of a suicidal postpartum depression, it happens after every child is born. And then a woman has a number of liabilities that come and say she's had five children. And you look at the situation as her husband, let's say you're her husband, and you say, well, I believe that we should have as many children as God gives us. And your wife says, honey, I don't know if I can do it again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she is not in giving birth, she has the baby in her arms and is happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you yeah. think of what scripture says about, you know, the pain is forgotten. Yeah. No, 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 no. The pain's forgotten, but the pain isn't forgotten. Right. Because it continues in various forms that are both emotional and physical. Right. And I asked Stephen to go through describing nethetic counseling to describe the Christian counseling movement. Because I believe that people are much more complicated and that we need, as husbands, as elders, as Titus II, when we need to have empathy, sympathy for the difficulty of being pregnant and having a lot of children. And I could add other things, but it would get a little personal about our church. There are other things that make it extremely difficult for certain mm-hmm. Other kinds of weak, you're talking about weaknesses. So there's and not just the wife, but the husband. I, exactly. There, I was going to say there's there's all kinds of weaknesses in any given home, and all of that plays into in, plays into this somehow. So you've got the depression thing. That's you know the, kind of the extreme end of the of the spectrum, maybe of the gray area. Maybe is just like she's going to kill herself or she's going to die. 
she's going to kill herself. That's emotional. Or going through this again might cause her to hemorrhage and she's going to die. She has certain physical weaknesses, mm-hmm. whatever. There's that. But then you can back off of that. And there's all kinds of other weaknesses that, that I think. Including physical. If she's had yeah. seven yeah. C-sections, I've had there's doctors. C-sections, there's multiples, there's, you know, proximity of, of pregnancies all that add up and take their toll. You know, there's all kinds of physical things. They're just, just plain old peculiar physiological weaknesses that, you know, you have yours, I have mine, you have, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And when you, when you have that in pregnancy, of course, that compounds it with a woman. There's, there's all kinds of things like that. And then there's the weaknesses that are in the home itself that are maybe harder to, it's not so objective you know, but still very real. Like, yeah. So can I, yeah, I, I, I said at the, the beginning of this episode that, that we were going to kind of just lay out the, the, the lay of the land in terms of the positions. And I'd like to do that still, because I do want to orient our audience here to mm-hmm. what, what are the different positions we can take here? Obviously we're in, we're, we're weird in our culture today. Uh, we in our Christian Protestant reformed culture, because generally speaking in the United States in 2022, any form of birth control at any time is possible. And of course, a very large percentage of the country believes that abortion is, is, uh, good, permissible. Um, but that's, that's the general culture. Mm -hmm. And so take a step back from that. Um, there, you could also have a position that any kind of abortifacient is impermissible. So anything that would cause an abortion after the conception of, of the child right. is, is impermissible. It's, 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 it would be sin to use, but any other form of contraceptive because it because, violates, it's an objective violation of the sixth commandment. Right. That's right. It actually so kills a, a human being. So there's a distinction between birth control and conception control at that point. Yep. Yep. So that, that those are always impermissible, but any other form of contraceptive is always permissible. In other words, uh, the determination of the number of children you have is simply a question of preference, stewardship, whatever. That's, that's I would say, maybe the broad evangelical position at this point. You know, I think that generally speaking, if you, now maybe this is even changing with environmentalism and whatever coming into the church, but if you talk to a lot of evangelical Christians, they'll say, yeah, children are a blessing from the Lord. I just, want to yeah. so, and so, typically that's a question of stewardship and and it's pragmatic it's utilitarian it's yeah, so preference stewardship of what exactly you're talking about money of your own decision well yeah money attention education there yeah. are all kinds of things you can put into the equation yes okay so then another position is that the sexual act should never include any form of contraceptive whatsoever that and, and you might say, you know, along with the Roman Catholics, that it's okay to choose to be intimate at the times of least fertility. Mm-hmm. You know, they, uh, they, well, let's stop there for a second. So you can hold that how many children you have is a decision God has given to you, and there is no moral failure by you making that decision purely on the basis of your best thinking. Okay, Mm -hmm. and you can still hold to not using any birth control that has any possibility of being in a board of fashion. So you can be biblical on abortion, 
on not using hormonal. And you can also say, nevertheless, all other methods of obstructing pregnancy are fine because God has given us brains mm -hmm. and we can, we, we can make up our own minds. Right. Then there are people who have brought this up with me who say, well, if you believe that you should always have the unitive and the procreative, in other right. words, making love and making babies, that there should always be a potential for that to be together, mm -hmm. then couples shouldn't continue to have sex after the woman goes into menopause. Mm -hmm. uh, infertile couples. Infertile couples. Some kind of physical issue. And so let's be very clear that that's another discrete position where they say that if really the purpose of sex is to have children, you can't have children, then you shouldn't be having sex, all right? Okay. Then we move to the position you're describing, which is the Roman Catholic, so go ahead. Which is that the sexual act um, should never include any form of contraception. So, uh, and maybe I, I would assume well, that the okay, Roman Catholic- Well, okay, but wait, don't put it that way because it's hypocritical to, to put the Roman Catholic position that way. Okay, I'm sorry. You know I, I threw I'm that saying? in there without carefully. Yeah. But my understanding of the Roman Catholic position is that, you know, barrier methods officially, again, this is the official, the Vatican official position. You know, if you talk to the common Roman Catholic, you're going to get a different answer. But uh, is that any kind of method, barrier methods, uh, hormonal birth control, any of it is not permitted. Now, is that correct? Is that Yes, that's correct. But what they would say is that it all depends on intent. Ah, and so when okay. you make love, you should have the intent of being open to God's blessing of children. If you don't make love during your fertile period of the month, mm -hmm. your intent is not to make love and not have children. You just don't make love. Do you understand that? And so you render the lovemaking act infertile by the way you schedule it. Mm -hmm. That's why they call it the rhythm method. Yeah. You know, you observe. Yeah. But that's okay by them. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. But but you <laughs> put it that you don't do anything to obstruct, yeah. and that's the whole ball game right there. <laughs> In other words, if you use the calendar to obstruct, but you don't use a condom to obstruct, your intent is the same. And they would right. say, oh, no, 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 no. You don't make love. We're still opening. We're still yeah, open we're to We're still it. open to it. We just have decided just Certain to not days make of the love. Month. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so that's, to me, that's just awful. Mm. Because it is precisely the kind of legalistic yeah. casuistry that yeah. one would expect from Roman Catholic Vatican yes. uh, moral theology. Go ahead, Steve. Well, actually, can I just say, yeah. so yeah. I, I think that I've, I've outlined and you've thrown, you threw in another one. Um, so that we've listed four different general positions you can take on this, but I don't think we've actually placed on the table our position yet <laughs> does that make sense i and so um that's what i want to try to do today i want us to try to make it more clear in this episode what our actual position is okay and i failed to do that so far so well if we well, have if, we're, if we have four <laughs> if we have four different positions that are presented yeah 
let's take the ones off the table that we know we're not. Right. Yeah. Obviously, okay, we so take off the table. We're not, well. We're the, not moral casuists. We don't do what the Roman, what Tim just said about, we don't look at this and, and say, well, you know, we, uh, we're, we're keeping the letter of the law somehow. With right. This Although we're not opposed to using that method in a Christian marriage. No. We're just not saying that we have a Roman Catholic doctrine. There isn't any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So can I just say something else about the Roman Catholic position? Yeah, just please. Correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding <laughs> that there's a tradition in the Roman Catholic Church that goes way back to the early fathers that was heavily influenced by body bad. Mm. Body is bad, always sinful. You know, so any kind of physical desires that aren't quote unquote spiritual, you know, are tainted always by concupiscence, which is the term they would have used. That's like, it's just always tainted by lust. And so that develops into things like um, celibacy as a higher state mm. of spiritual being, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, harsh treatment of the body, things that were repudiated by the reformation mm. where it's sex is good. Food is good. Um, children are good. Dirty diapers are good. All that kind of stuff. I, I think it's important to lay that out as part of the inner workings of the Roman Catholic position, as far as I understand it, because you, we don't want to say, I mean, I've canceled, I lived in Northeast Pennsylvania, heavily, heavily Roman Catholic mm. traditional, yeah, not Midwestern Roman Catholic, you know, honest to goodness, Roman Catholic area where, you know, people would come in for counseling to the church and their whole view of sex is pleasure, sexual pleasure in marriage is bad, period. The mm. only thing that makes it redeemable is the possibility of children. Mm. Yeah. That doesn't seem to be the Bible's position to me. Right. No. But that's not what, I mean, you're right, yeah. but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about whether people should use contraception. And so we're not talking about whether or not it's okay to enjoy making love. Well, is it okay to enjoy making love if it's not possible to have children be the result of it is mm. the question. Yes, but the Roman Catholic position is not a position that says it's wrong to have sex if you can't have children. You can argue that Augustine got close to that. Mm -hmm. When you quoted Augustine earlier, I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, people have been told by people like Carolyn Custis James and Frank James, her husband, <laughs> you know, that all those old men were, were just perverse and they all wanted women to be baby factories. And that's what a lot of people say today. Anybody who speaks up and says children are a blessing, and that mm. is the biblical doctrine. Children are a blessing, and right. you should embrace yeah. it from God. They say, oh, well, you think a woman should have as many children as she can. And that is just, it's so disgusting. Yes. I have never known anybody that teaches that. I've never known anybody. And so it's a way of- Wait, you've never known anybody that teaches that a woman should have as many kids as she can? As she possibly isn't can. that isn't that the definition of the quiverful? That's what they say it is. But have you, have you heard me teach that? No. Have you taught no, that? No. Have you known no. anybody that teaches that in our presbytery? They have large no, 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 families. No, but, but hold on. The I mean, 
there I but I do think there, there are, are people who teach that. Who be, there are people who teach that, and there are people who are do I think in our churches, in our church even, who say no forms of birth control ever. But even that position is a different position from saying that a woman should have as many children as she possibly can, and that ties her self-worth and her excellence as a Christian woman, mother, and wife to how many children she has. Explicitly. It's just bogus. Of course you can use how many children you have to whoop up on other people as you can use whether you're bald or have hair. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing the church doesn't pervert yeah. in such a way as to get a leg up on other people. I preached this last Sunday. Right. We can use food, drink, we can use everything. Yep, yep. But to argue against that children are a blessing of the Lord and that contraception and birth control are questionable morally to argue against that by saying anybody that says those things is is a quiverful person and and mm-hmm. they have no sensitivity to women no the the biblical position is it is a very very touchy difficult thing to know how to conduct yourself in marriage vis-a-vis fruitfulness in children It's difficult. And you said earlier, well, we haven't said what our position is yet. And I was about to be a smart aleck (laughs) and say to you, oh, okay, Lucas, go ahead. Tell us, what's your position? And see, the reason I'm doing this is, number one, you're married to my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) But the other reason is you don't want to talk about your personal decision with your wife. Why? You don't want to talk about it. Why? Nobody wants to talk about it other than a woman that's had 10 miscarriages and is furious at couples that choose to not have more than two children, you know? And we have that in our church. And so what we have to do is go back to this issue that everything is not simply yes and no. Right. Abortion is yes and no. Right. Okay. Having sex after she goes through menopause is yes and no. Yes. Right. Okay. Abortion is no. There are many things that are simply yes or no. Yeah. But when it comes to the issue of owning, that was no, but he did yes, you know, or whatever. In other (laughs) words, Onan was killed by God because of how he violated God's principle for making love and his principle of taking on the responsibility for your dead brother. This issue is very complicated. It is not always a matter simply of, well, you use the rhythm method, you use condom, you use a diaphragm and spermicide, you use an abortifacient contraception. It goes beyond that. When are you home and when are you gone? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we have to, as we approach this issue, realize that just as there are many Uh, kinds of women with strengths and weaknesses physically, so there are emotionally, so there are men and husbands who have a whole bunch of different reasons for doing what they do that are tied to the fruitfulness of the womb. And so if you want to reduce this to, in this case, it's okay, in that case, it's not okay, number one, you're not going to be comfortable because you're not going to want to examine all the particularities of the people 
that come to you and want you to make the decision for them, which they will do. Right. They will come in your yeah. office and ask you to decide whether or not they should oh, yeah. be use birth control because they're fighting over it. So I, I've thought about this a lot because I think what you're you're arguing, you're trying to make space for people. Yes, you're absolutely. Trying, you're working very hard to make space for people to live by faith and to not be legalistic about this. And to keep my nose out of people's bedrooms <laughs> yeah, as a pastor. That's right. But then, and there's a sense in which you could go down the Ten Commandments and work to make space for each of them, for people to not be legalistic. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean we don't work hard to make it clear to to define when you're killing somebody and when you're not killing somebody you think of end of life issues (laughs) you should do it your face is twitching now (laughs) well the reason is that some of god's commandments are objective warn a divisive man once then a second time then have nothing to do with him there's a numerical value attached to some commandments, and one of them is the sixth commandment. Don't murder. He's dead. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And so some commandments are very easy to set the parameters of. Mm-hmm. We don't take life. We don't risk taking life. We're uh, caref- Come on, that's not right. Yes, it is right. We risk taking life all the time. Right? We risk taking life in situations that society has declared to be within the realm of reasonable risk. Right. And society condemns as criminal acts what it judges to be unreasonable risks. Right. It has to it has to come and become judgment. legalistic about There's a, a judgment that has to be <laughs> There has to be still. a judgment. And yeah. society is not the only person we have to answer to. We have to answer to God. Yeah. And so there are various risks that society has said are fine. And one of them is hormonal methods of contraception birth control. Mm -hmm. And Christians Mm -hmm. should have nothing to do with that. Right. Because it's manslaughter. And you know that because society has changed the definition of life to implantation instead of fertilization. And that's an indication of a guilty conscience. So when the law is perverse, and is unjust, Christians don't go along with it because they can get away with it under the law. They still have to face God. I'm totally with you, totally with you. But the reason I'm going down this track is because when we were talking yesterday, you know, you mentioned how you react strongly whenever the issue of stewardship comes up or the mm-hmm. question of, you know, mm-hmm. stewardship comes up. I don't know how to approach this question without without thinking about it in terms of stewardship. Yeah, but remember what I said was they say that the only the, that the only decision making apparatus that applies is stewardship. Let me describe if I have a couple, and this has happened probably a number of times. If I have a couple that comes in the office and wants to meet with me to deal with marital conflict, and I find one of the issues is conflict over pregnancy and children. Mm-hmm. And I've told you, I don't want to make the decision. Right. So what I do is I begin to probe what their understanding of fruitfulness is. All right. Mm-hmm. And I ask them, what does the Bible say about children? If they reply, well, that they're good. I mean, 
they're gifts of God. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, they'll go on like that. Mm-hmm. But we love children. Mm-hmm. I'll say, no, 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 no. You haven't gotten to it yet. What does the Bible say about fruitfulness? Well, I thought we just said, I mean, you know, children are wonderful. Yeah. Can you connect it with any other fruitfulness? And typically they won't know, have a clue what I'm talking about. Hmm. So then I'll say to them, what is the fruitfulness of Jesus Christ? Was Jesus fruitful? He's the first of many brothers. His coming from his father has produced unbelievable fruit. Mm -hmm, His mm -hmm. death, his blood. And probably for many of them, the first time in their life, they they have an inkling of the biblical doctrine of fruitfulness. Mm. Then I open to them the uniformity of all of scripture in referring to God blessing a land and people by making the trees produce fruit, making the cows have calves, making this, that, and the other thing, that the vats of oil are full, that the the vineyard, the wine, this is all fruitfulness. Then I work them back to the womb and to their making love, Mm. all right? And I say, you have to look at the womb and lovemaking in the context of the universality of fruitfulness as God's blessing that he wrote into the DNA of creation. Mm -hmm. And almost, I think every time I've ever said this to a couple, it's news to them. Mm -hmm. They don't even have a doctrine of fruitfulness. I don't trust them to discuss among themselves, let alone make a decision about stewardship because stewardship today is mechanistic. It's it's biblical counseling. It's like it's either yes or no. Yeah. And and now it's yes and now it's no and the and, numbers just don't add up, honey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what are you telling us if we use birth control that you're gonna bring us to the elders for discipline? And I say, Can I please just teach on fruitfulness? <laughs> and can I please quote the church about how wicked it was what Onan did and that we shouldn't do that? And they say, Well, well, then if we use birth control or you know contraception then you're going to bring us to the elders for discipline and i say well do you think there would ever be the use of contraception that would be sinful and that you should be admonished or rebuked over yeah. well then they begin to think well yeah we could see cases like that i say what if for instance you commit adultery with some man other than your husband and you use contraception to hide the result or to protect yourself (laughs) from bringing a foreign child into your home (laughs) you see we have to be rigorous vigorous intelligent deep in dealing with such a heavy issue in our marriages Mm. we can't simply say don't use birth control because there are cases where all of us at this table think it is right to use contraception Mm. i would assume you do yeah and so that needs to be said but then everybody's going to want to say well then you're inconsistent (laughs) and i say you're doggone right (laughs) I am inconsistent. I don't always say yes. I don't always say no. I don't always want lima beans, but most (laughs) of the time I do. It's it's not, it's only inconsistent is if what you say is contraception is always a sin. 
if that's what you say, if that is the position, well, and okay. you say, but sometimes it's not, then yeah, that's inconsistent, but that's not what you're saying. That's you, not what we're saying. Okay. But then people will immediately start to say, okay, well, help me to understand when is it not, you know, and then you, you're getting into when is it not what, uh, when is it not sin? When is it not sin? And well, we defining the book. Well, pastorally, you're always doing what Tim's been talking about is you're always putting down these pails, these stakes mm-hmm. in the ground around mm-hmm. people. And then you're saying, okay, well, we're not going to go into your bedroom and tell you what to do, but here, understand this from God's word and from his truth. Mm-hmm. Do you understand fruitfulness? Here, understand this from God's word and its truth. You shall not kill. Here, understand this from God's word and his truth. Children are a blessing from the Lord. You keep going around and around and around. Here, understand this. Love your wife. Treat her Mm -hmm. in an understanding way as a weaker vessel. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Over Around and around, pastors put these posts for our people. And if they look at us and, and try to determine everything, every answer, and expect us to, to take one of those posts mm-hmm. and make and make everything, that's it, that's all there yep. is. Just tell me what to do. That post right there. Yeah. Okay, that's where I want to be. I'm going to do that post, right? Yep. And that's just, it doesn't work. It doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. We're calling them to, to live their lives according to God's word by faith. By faith. Struggle yeah. forward. Struggle forward by faith, trusting in the Lord and what he said. And hopefully as you get older and older and older, you'll have more faith and more understanding mm-hmm. of the goodness of what he mm-hmm. has said mm-hmm. and what he's given to us and his own character. Yeah. Just look outside. Yeah, there's a whole framework that you're talking about building for people. And I, and I hate to say it, but I think a lot of the problem we have in the American church is the fact that most American Christians for the last hundred years or so have been taught anything about children and fr- and fruitfulness and multiplying and filling the earth and all that kind of stuff. That was all Old Testament stuff, and now mm-hmm. we're in the New Testament, and now it's all about spiritual children and spiritual blessings mm-hmm. and spiritual fruitfulness. And so all that means is go out and you know, get people to pray the sinner's prayer and so that they don't die when Jesus comes, you know, so they're not left behind or whatever. And it's, it really is a, a, you've got multiple hills you have to climb with people. One of them is fruitfulness. Okay. See it everywhere in scripture. And it's taught nowhere today. Yeah. And another Mm. one is the body and babies and the, you know, the world we live in, all that kind of stuff still matters. (laughs) You know, Jesus didn't make all that go away. And it's like, this is a, I mean, I've talked to people in other churches all the time who say, you know, when they start to teach this stuff, that the incredible amount of pushback they get is simply, well, that's, we don't live in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's just, uh, so it's another layer of complication. And, and, you know, we could probably have about five more episodes on this because people are going to push back no matter what we say of course people are going to misrepresent it and say this podcast was um quiverful people are going (laughs) to say that we trash the roman catholic church unfairly people are going to say that you know the problem's not a dispensationalist yeah (laughs) and you know one of the things i view as my calling 
as a pastor and as an older grandpa, father, husband, is to tell people that my father said in, in his older years that nothing gave him more joy than his children. Mm. Yeah. Can we please begin again to think of faith as joy? Can we begin to think of children, scads of children as joy? Do I take pride in having 30 grandchildren? Of course I do. (laughs) Am I perverse because I do? Of course not. Can I use this to get other people to be envious so that they might have faith to have more children? Mm. Well, yeah, God uses the Gentiles to make the Jewish envious, Mm. the Jews. Um, And so when it comes to the issue of people wanting us to say, all right, you've said hormonal birth control is wrong because it can cause us to kill our babies. Now we want to know what specific situations are you saying? And I say, well, okay, if a woman is legitimately suicidal in postpartum. That's a clear case. And they say, well, yeah, but what about other circumstances? And I say, well, I'm using that circumstance in an illustrative way. (laughs) And they say, well, what else is as serious as that? I said, I'm not using that because it is so serious and nothing else. I'm using this to be suggestive. What if a woman has terrible, and I'm not going to go into the details. I don't want to mention them specifically. Well, health but, problems. Well, okay, physical health problems. ramifications. Yes. Yeah. 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 Or what if a woman has a combination of physical and emotional? What if a woman needs to be on a drug that is antithetical to having a safe mm-hmm. child in her womb? What mm-hmm. if, yeah. and they say, well, those are all life and death issues. I say, I'm not just saying that if her physical life is at harm, that that's the only case where, where you know, contraception should be used. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, but you say that there are blessings, you know, and that mm-hmm. you should be fruitful, and so you're just a quiverful. And it's like, okay, listen, please don't come to Trinity Reformed Church. <laughs> you know, I have a whole well, host I, of churches listen. where you can be very comfortable being told that there's no issue. Yeah, I think, I mean, what you've argued for repeatedly, consistently, is to, that we have to walk by faith. We have to walk by and faith. And our pastors need to keep their nose out of people's bedrooms. <laughs> Which, I mean... Here, here. <laughs> that's right. So, but, but before we end, I want to hit on a couple other things. Just, just a second. Listen, people may be frustrated by me saying this. Trust me, there's a reason Stephen is here today to talk about the Nuthetic Counseling Movement. Don't just jump over that and think it was a non sequitur. An awful lot of what we're talking about here is a question of pastoral appropriateness, pastoral care, how to preach scripture, how to counsel couples in conflict. And if you don't have a broadly empathetic and sympathetic approach, and, you know, you, Lucas, you get uncomfortable when I say this because you say, well, can't you use that to justify any breaking of any of the Ten Commandments? And I say, well, I suppose so. Mm. But. Well, you said earlier that the evangelical church has become a uh, experiential, experiential emotive. emotive. And so then aren't you just saying that that's what 
No, because a man that's... I'm sorry. Let me ask the question explicitly yeah, so yeah, people yeah. don't miss it. Um, if, if Tim is saying that is, 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 is urging pastors to be empathetic with their people and to not be rigid, See? Oh, then, my goodness. then how, how is that any different than the 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 broad evangelical and that's where we're at today on emotions <laughs> there's only two di- there's only yeah. two possible ways there's two ditches and that's it and there's no road <laughs> nice big paved clean road in the middle of those ditches yeah you read the puritans and the puritans aren't giving in to emotions when they grow incredibly deeply into the methods with which Satan ties us up mm-hmm. in knots. Mm. If you read Gregory the Great's Pastoral Care from what, the fourth century, one of the best books ever written on pastoral ministry, he delves deeply into the various thought patterns and emotional habits we have as a way of helping us as we care for sheep. Yeah. And we just have to recover this. It's not, I don't want pastors, you know, as I was listening to you, I was thinking, yeah, that's young pastors. They, they probably think that if I'm telling them to be sympathetic and emotive, it's the trump card. And anytime a woman says that she's hurt. Yeah, you know, crying in front of yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> she's hurt. You should just give in, you yeah, know? Yeah. And it's like, no, actually, I've had... <laughs> You know, I have a case in my mind right now where I just didn't. No, you don't give in, not because you're heartless and cruel. You could probably describe why she's crying to her in a way that would be superior to the way she could describe to you why she's crying. (laughs) But that's empathy. But it's not a trump card. Yeah, yeah. And what we want to do is either just be empathetic, and that's the ironclad law, or be legalistic, and that's the ironclad law. Stephen, do you have anything else you can say about this? And then we'll go back to your question, but I just don't think people understand why we talked about forms of counseling. Pete, you know, human beings are very complicated. (laughs) And (laughs) and no one, I don't think anyone, the more I read about what people are, what you know, we are now figuring out, and this is just secular science about the connection between the body and the soul, and, and they may or may not even use that term. Sometimes they do because they just—it's mm. just we're getting away from that kind of real extreme modernism that says mm-hmm. there yeah. is nothing Other but than, the physical world. Right. People, people can live that way, and people know better, and they always have known better, and and now they're starting to be willing to say it again, that there is just something really weird between <laughs> in this connection between the physical and the non-physical part of a man. Yeah. Of a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And to try to, for Christians to say, Oh no, it's easy. Mm. Is just as bad as the, as the modernist who says there is no such thing. Mm. You know, it's complicated. We don't know that we don't even haven't begun to know the half of it. Hmm. Dad used to say, and he was sophisticated on the issue of counseling and, you know, grieving death. He said that he didn't think we had a clue the interwoven nature of our bodies and our hearts, our souls, our emotions. So anything that that kind of leans one way or the other or ignores one and embraces the other or whatever, minimizes one, is automatically going to be messed up. And you can see how that goes in both directions, right? 
and has gone in any other direction in terms of pick one but not the other. And so we, as Christians, we, we're the only ones who have the knowledge from God in his word about what we are. We are both. Scripture addresses both. God made our bodies. God made our souls. God put us in this world. And we're supposed to live in it with wisdom, not as robots, not as, boy, I can't wait till I get done with this stupid body because then I'll be truly free, you know, airy spirits, not like that. Not as dogs, you know. And so in our sermon last Sunday, we talked about the ambiguity of Scripture. Right. Mm. And one thing we have to notice is that there are a whole bunch of issues we all argue about, that Scripture is ambiguous. And now the people who are full quiver would say, well, Scripture isn't ambiguous about, you know, contraception because you have Onan. The problem with Onan is, and I think it is right to say it's a condemnation of coitus interruptus, right? But the problem with that is that he denied the precious gift of a child to his sister-in-law, something that God required. And so you can't just say that Onan is simply a condemnation of the use of contraception. You can Mm -hmm. say that it does, and all through church history, people have said it does, but we're also supposed to live with our wife in an understanding way. Mm. And if God had wanted to give an explicit command, it would have been the 11th, thou shalt not use contraception. And people would say, well, that's what Onan is. And I say, ah, be a little humble there. They say, well, all through the church, they've used that to condemn birth control. Well, yeah, and in some of those historic quotes, what they actually say is, it's perverse for you to use the woman for your pleasure, Mm. okay? Mm -hmm. Now, do you know what I'm going to say? Without Without giving her children. Without giving her the blessing of children. Without giving her her the pleasure Mm. of children, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And yeah. that's well, I mean, helpful. That, yeah. yeah, and live with your wives in an understanding way cuts in both directions. You know, it cuts in the direction of her weakness. Is her body able to handle this again? Mm-hmm. Is her soul able to handle this again? Mm-hmm. It also cuts in the direction of giving her children. Because <laughs> that's what she wants, you know. And, and I, I mean, we all know situations where Different men need to think about that in one or the other direction. Mm-hmm. And it's not one size fits all. It's not a an engineerish check sheet thing, flow chart. It's there there are other factors that have to be brought into this. Mm. And wisdom. God always um calls for wisdom. And wisdom is not just a, a, a spreadsheet. I would say wisdom is not a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would like to just finish up by asking about, you know, when, when the command for fathers to provide for their children, for their families is brought up, you know, obviously it's a basic command. You're worse than an unbeliever if you don't do that. And so we believe it, we exhort our fathers. But then in this context, in the context of, prof, uh, of birth control and contraception, the two big ones of education and healthcare are often brought up because they're very expensive. If you plan to send your children, all of them, to a four-year college or, or healthcare, they're very expensive. And so is there a point at which you as a pastor would, in looking at with a couple 
and and they say, well, you know, pastor, we're thinking about the possibility of having more kids. We're open to it, but we just really don't think that we can afford it. We really don't think we can afford it. We're on one income. We already have so many kids. What would you say to them? You want to try to answer this, Max? Well, on the one hand, Lucas, it's kind of a crazy question for today because in America. We're the wealthiest nation that the world has ever it's like, seen. It's like, what in the world are we asking when we ask such a question? I, I'd rather think about another way. What if you're looking and you make the question a little bit more absurd and you say, well, you know, we really don't think that we can send all of our children to get their second doctorate at MIT. Well, I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but I mean the fact of the matter is, what it what where we do, have where we have a, wanna, where do you want to set the bar? Yeah, yeah. All okay. of our children have to be according a, to what B. standard? Well, yeah. yeah, where is the standard? And then you get into relative deprivation, and you realize that you know I, there's a fellow in our church who grew up in Cameroon. And he has this wonderful story because we have here, we've had a group of guys who during the last invasion of the cicadas last year decided they were going to eat cicadas. And they had this wonderful gathering of people in the community where they had cicadas served in all these different ways and different right. restaurants brought the cicadas. And the the fellow from Cameroon was looking and observing all of these cicadas being eaten and he's just grossing out. And then he just says, look, uh, I grew up in Cameroon and, you know, I had friends and if a, if a locust flew by, they chased it <laughs> and they chased it because they saw it as a real source of protein. Yeah. And it's like, we're talking about what, you know, how many, how, you know, have as many children as we can make sure we can find insects to eat. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. That's well, the, the way, the way I question. have answered the question is that basically don't worry about it. Uh, because as you, as I've pointed out to others, we are the wealthiest people on, that the world has ever known. And it's like, if, if those things keep us from obeying this basic command and enjoying this basic blessing of of kids and children then then yeah. we have a standard that's just yeah. ridiculous i don't ever want to see children starve right. i don't ever want to see an infant starve but i'll tell you to this point if it hasn't been for a factor of physical uh sickness the only time i've ever seen children who failed to thrive is because their parents, as a principle, wouldn't feed them something because of some particular prejudice. Mm. We can't feed them that because it's not this. We can't feed them that because it's not that. And so we, what? We'll just not feed them anything. Mm -hmm. Well, what about education in that regard? All right. So first, my credentials. I was raised in a home where both my father and mother who were prior to baby boomers, had both graduated from college, and I married a woman whose parents had graduated from college. And this was back at a time when most women didn't go to college. Mm. My children were exceedingly bright, could have gotten any scholarship they wanted. Some of them did. And I was faced with uh, the fact that my daughters wanted to get married and to have children, and I didn't want them to. Now, why? Well, because I had a principle that you should only have as many children as you can educate well. In other words, was the reason that I was now going to delay my daughters from getting married and having children that 
I was so committed to this principle of a good education. Oh, well. In other words, it works at the end as well as the beginning. Hmm. I might have been willing to set aside the issue of a good education in terms of, well, let's have lots of children. But then when the children grew up, I might have said, no, 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 you're not going to get married. And you're not going to, no, 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 no. You're going to finish your degree. And that is the norm in the conservative reformed and the conservative evangelical church. Hmm. That is the norm. We know how parents are with their children because we're in a university community. We've been here for a long time. And we've lived in a lot of the conflicts between children and their parents. Now, why is it? Because those parents are committed to a good education. Okay? Okay? And, of course, it's a howler. Yeah. That is not the reason. You go into a classical Christian school. And you say, what is the principle of the classical Christian school? Is it a good education? You go and hang out with homeschooling co-ops that maybe use Charlotte Mason. Mm -hmm. What is the principle? Is the principle a good education? Now, I am not saying that there is not a connection between an education and a well-lived life. Yeah. What I'm trying to point out is that Charlotte Mason, classical education, college, completion of college, a college degree, these things are not closely tied to a good education, or these things are an education which should not be allowed to get in the way of the development of the life of the mind of intellectual curiosity, of comprehension and reading, of being able to express yourself properly, of delving into matters in a disciplined way that allows you to get to the bottom of things, okay? In other words, education today is the most valuable bangle that you can carry around your arm, you know? Mm -hmm. In other words, Where you got your degree and who your friends are because of which frat or sorority you were in or what school you went to is actually maybe the most significant wealth there is in the Western world today. Yeah. Okay. I want us to realize that when we talk about you should only have as many children as you can educate well, what we're really saying is that children's intellectual development and their capacity to be wise in the raising of their own children in a few decades Mm -hmm. is not a function of what institution they went to and what degree they got. And so he gets back to Mark Twain saying, don't let schooling get in the way of your child's education. Okay. And so when they set up the education of their children in opposition to them having a fruitful womb, Mm You know they're talking about schooling and degrees. Yeah, but many, okay, you, you come from a family where a lot of the education happened, oh, okay, Fam- education happens in the family. Right? That That's true across the board. But mm, It's not just true across the board. It is true that when, and I'm, I don't have citations to give you, but it's true that when they do everything they possibly can to throw money at the public school system. Yep, yep. I could pull those up pretty quickly. 
again and again, computers, you know, right, different kinds right. of modules of classes, you know, integration of different cultural groups, wh whatever you want to come up with. In the end, the child's ability to argue, to think, to comprehend all those things, which are really the goal of education, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those things are a function of the home. Mm. They're a function of having a meal a day with your family. And it doesn't matter what you do institutionally and with degrees, if children grow up in an intellectually and emotionally stingy or dead home, mm -hmm. guess what? They're not going to take the risk of thinking properly. They're not going to learn how to comprehend what they're reading. They're not going to be able to enter into novels with empathy and feel the sentiments that are being described by the Russian psychological novelists. In other words, if we're going to really talk about, go ahead. Well, you, you okay? I'm I'm totally with you on that. But as I as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, these are things: healthcare, education. These scare parents at the beginning when they have kids because everybody tells them that the contentment and health of their children is dependent upon them getting a good education, and having good healthcare. It's just universally believed across the Western world, right? Which and is what I was saying about the fact that what are you what are you going to set as the bar? How much of the world has no concept of healthcare at all, mm -hmm. let alone public education, mm -hmm. or public education at all, let alone healthcare? And then you're you're really talking about where you set the bar, which is why I said about MIT. You know, is that the goal? We have you know our kids will all be fat as porkers with four degrees. And the best health care they can find to treat their diabetes. Well, <laughs> but like, so as your children grow up, they have to be educated somewhere and they have to get their health care somewhere. So are you saying that parents... But but you said they have to be educated somewhere. So I'm reading the second volume of Souls in its autobiography, Between Two Millstones. So where do the children get their education? <laughs> and are they ignorant? Are Alexander Solzhenitsyn's children ignorant? No. Okay. And so how are they educated? Do you know? Probably going to the library and picking a book up. Well, they did go to a very elite private school in the New Hampshire area where they lived, okay. or Vermont. Yep. They did go to the public school too. Yep. And they were, for years, educated by their mother. And so did they get a good education? <laughs> they never went to a classical Christian school and they never heard anything about Charlotte Mason. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They didn't even have a homeschool co-op. My point is, can we separate our aspirations culturally for being able to brag about our children, the degrees they have, the institutions, brag about ourselves and our sophisticated taste and curriculum and method mm -hmm. from what we're trying to accomplish through education, which is that our daughters and our sons will be capable of making an informed decision about what church they go to, what preaching they need, who they'll vote for in the election, how they will talk to their children, whether they will read to their children. Mm. Can we go back and begin to recover the purpose of education, the highest literacy rate in the world? 
was in colonial America. Why? Because every parent wanted their children to grow up reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. So were they ignorant if all they read was the Bible? Jonathan Edwards only had about 250 books in his whole library. He must have been a very ignorant man. They didn't <laughs> have a public lending library at that time. And so Jonathan Edwards was stunted. Hmm. Come on. We here in this community, I certainly growing up in Wheaton. <laughs> yeah. Living in Madison and Boulder, unbelievable amount of pig ignorance on the part of people who have the most exceptional degrees. Mm -hmm, And that pig mm -hmm. ignorance is often the result of prejudices, selfishness, narcissism, of the failure of their professors to challenge them, Mm -hmm. you know? And and so when people come and say, well, we don't know if we can provide them health care and education— Almost always, it's people that don't have much education that would be concerned about education and people that are running a school, (laughs) you know, who think that other people should not hesitate to pay ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to go to their Christian school. Mm. Come on. This is not an open shut case. Yeah. It's just... People have to stop being intimidated by the world waving the red flag at them that if they have a lot of children, they're irresponsible parents. I didn't expect this to go this way, but but I think it's it's good for us to close on just encouraging people to have faith. And particularly if you're a father listening to this, have faith for these things. Like, yeah, it is an enormous weight to bring a child into the world. You do. You're you're right. Father, you're right. You are supposed to think about health care, about education. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to work hard providing for those things in the best possible way, the most Christian way you you possibly can. And but and, and when Mary Lee and I lived in Wisconsin, there came a point where we didn't think it was right for us to have our daughter Heather in the public school anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we drove her like 30, 35 minutes south and went, and then she got in the car of a carpool. They drove the second 35 minutes down to Madison to a Christian school. Mm. We didn't have any money to do that. Mm. Andy, but we did it by faith. And it was amazing how God provided. Mm -hmm. And so to the people that think that they have an obligation to not have children until they can make a case that they can responsibly provide for a good education and for good health care. What I say to them is, no, 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 no. You're putting the cart before the horse. Mm -hmm. The horse is being fruitful, and the cart is God's (laughs) provision for those children you have had the faith to have. Mm. You don't have to justify having a child to some pastor that wants to put a guilt trip on you about how intellectual your children will or won't be. Mm. That's the thing that just makes me aggressive. Mm -hmm. For pastors to intimidate couples into thinking that they have to justify having more children, it's like seriously. (laughs) So yeah, again, to fathers, if you feel like you're backed into a corner, that's right. It's time to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time to fight. And That's a good description it, of father. That's right. <laughs> it's more fun that way. All right, everyone. Sometimes it just is about me. It's just about me. Next week, 
I'm going to sunny Savannah, Georgia for spring break with my family, so we won't be releasing a new episode next Thursday. But don't worry, we'll be back the week after that. Thanks so much for listening. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now. 